The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles uh, on the table and back. Feel free to grab one of those. Feel free to take one of those home if you need a Bible. We're in Acts chapter 3, and, and this incredible, wonderful, miraculous healing of a man who is described as lame from birth. I want you to see this man. I want you to see yourself in this man. I want you to see the Savior granting what he commands. And that this healing points to greater things to come. Let's pray together. Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. And may we be a people who look to you and trust in you and share what you have done. Amen. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word, Acts 3, and follow along as I read verses 1 to 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. To ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And recognizing God. And and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, let's remember this is a, a unique time that we're reading about in the, in the history of the church, unique in a few ways. Unique in that God's word was not yet complete. Unique in that the Jewish believers were day by day attending the temple, the, the followers of Christ attending the temple, that the temple was still there. Uh, They didn't view their Christianity as a a break from Judaism, but as authentic Judaism. As they came to realize that what the Old Testament scriptures 
were really about, what they pointed to, how they pointed to Christ, how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Even the animal sacrifices that were still going on at this time in the temple had to do with Jesus. And here they are, as verse 1 tells us, going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They go with the knowledge that Jesus is their final, he is their perfect, atoning sacrifice. And because of this, I assume they didn't go to the sacrificial ceremonies, but being devoted to prayer, they they went to the various prayer services. As any Jew would do, these were authentic Jews, Jews who were expected to offer up prayer three times a day in either the, the temple or the synagogue, morning, afternoon, evening. And we read that Peter and John, they're going on the ninth hour around 3 p.m., this afternoon service. Later on, in AD 70, this temple will be destroyed. So, again, it's a unique time. They're stuck within two eras. With Pentecost, a new era, the last days has begun. And until AD 70, there's this, this overlap of new covenant, this new covenant age with the old Jewish age and its sacrificial system, its types and shadows that are fulfilled in Christ. They're stuck in between. Jesus spoke, didn't he, of the temple being a type when he said, speaking of his body, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. We know he was speaking about his body. He was speaking about the crucifixion. He was speaking about being raised three days later. But it also shows us that the building of the temple is not the reality. It's a type. It's a sign that points to, that is replaced or fulfilled in Christ. So here these disciples are going into this this glorious building through the beautiful gate. And what they possess is described in Colossians as the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And with this in mind, I have to say that the current day Christian groups who desire to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem are not thinking clearly. May even be blasphemous when you think about it. That this, that they would want to restore a type, a shadow that exists for sacrifices when we already possess the greater reality in Jesus. A type and shadow that would deny the final atonement of Jesus. So why would we ever want to rebuild such a thing? But back in this first century, we need to see that they were in this unique period of history. The old, not finally done away with, while the new has already begun. Luke makes the point that That prayer was important to these early Christians. They were devoted in their ongoing worship. And with with 
excited new eyes, they go to worship. Prayer was at the core of their Christian living, and it should be for us as well. So they're going to pray. And several hundred people are going to be gathered in the in this outer section of the temple. And we read in verse 2, And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. No modern medicine, no social security disability benefits, no government help of any kind. This 40-year-old man with a congenital condition relied upon the generosity of the people around him. And he would have relied upon family or friends to carry him each day to a location best for receiving money so he can live. And it's a good thing It's a good thing that our faith and its places of worship have this reputation, isn't it? It's it's what we see. There's a reputation, apparently, of generosity with the church because it seems to be a good place for people to go who need money. It may, at times, today, seem like a nuisance but it's also a reflection of God and his charity, his generosity, his love. People know where to go. In that day, it was common. It was expected for God's people to give alms for the poor. This man went to the temple. And today, needy people will go to churches. Or years ago when... My family has a Christian bookstore evangel when it was downtown Medford on Main Street. All the time, people would be coming in, because we're a Christian bookstore, asking for money. And we could look at it and say, you know, it's a real dilemma in our day, right? Sometimes I feel moved to give a little money or better, maybe some food. Mostly I don't do anything. And I justify not giving to people that you see on the streets thinking they don't look starving. Or they're just going to use it to feed their addiction. So we justify not giving. And it's hard to know what to do, isn't it? It's hard to know what to do because of all people, we should be the ones who show compassion. We should recognize their worth. That these are image bearers of God. They are to be loved. And so we wrestle with the question of how. How do I love them? What is wise? And one way to love is something that I love that that we support as a church is the Medford Gospel Mission. They've been doing this for decades. They know how to love people in these unique situations. Um, It may seem like passing the buck, but it really isn't. Point people there. Take them there. 
recommend it. Serve there. Give. Um, you know, some of you serve. Sharing a meal. Some of you teach there. It's a wonderful ministry where they not only feed and provide shelter, but they help them get sober. And most of all, they share the gospel. They teach them God's word. So, we need to be compassionate. We need to read this story in Acts 3 and imagine this man, this image bearer of God, and what a horrible life he had. Horrible. He probably feels terrible. That he's a burden to friends who daily carry him to this spot. He can't even get there on his own. He's probably like many of the people we drive by today. Not wanting to make eye contact. Not feeling like they matter. If your life or your work feels monotonous, can you imagine what it's like to sit and beg and be ignored and be a burden day after day after day for 40 years? Not only was he a social outcast, but in that day, his deformity prevented him from entering the part, certain parts of the sanctuary. It affected his worship. And today, in different ways, disability keeps people from worship. It takes a lot more for these families affected by disability to get ready in the morning and to make it to church. And so, all the more reason for us to be welcoming and happy to see them. Christ welcomes us. He invites us to come into his presence and worship him. And we want to be a church that reflects the love of Christ. If you're a family affected by disability, and one week it looks like you're, you're, you just, you're going to be late, don't worry about it. We'd rather you come in the middle of my preaching than not come at all. We want you here. You're a part of this family. We don't want anyone to feel like this man at the gate of the temple, like a burden or, or a distraction. No, you're a brother. You're a sister. And thank the Lord, Pastor Dale has spent so many years alerting us to this attitude and rightly challenging us For example, to not turn around and look when there's a loud noise behind you. Making the people, making that person feel like a distraction or a burden or a nuisance. We never want to do that. It's important for us to be intentional with these things because it's important for us to love everyone and and make an environment that's inviting, safe, where people know they can come and sense the love of Christ's church, knowing that they are wanted and welcomed and a part of a family here. So some of you can relate to this man, ignored, feeling like a burden, prevented from worshiping with everyone else. And so his reaction, (laughs) 
of leaping for joy and praising God and, and clinging to Peter and John as they go into the temple to worship, it's all the more precious for you. Verses 3 through 6 read, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Peter looks at this man and tells the man to look at him. Our eye contact is important. In this case, Peter knows that Jesus is about to heal this man through him, and he wants this to be clear. He wants him to know by whose name, by whose authority, whose power has healed him, and that it's come through one of his apostles. That's the point of this. But an application to us, I have to say, is that I've been convicted recently in that when I'm driving by a person, sitting on a curb, wanting money, I find myself avoiding them, not looking. Not looking at them, not wanting them to look at me. And it's convicting because silver and gold is not necessarily the point. They're a person made in the image of God. And we should at least, at least greet them with a smile and acknowledge them as a person. Peter and John looked at him and then Peter said, look at us. And when Peter said, I don't have any money for you, (laughs) the man must have been disappointed initially. Maybe even confused, wondering, Okay, did you really need to tell me that you don't have any money for me? Oh, Peter had something much better. And this man was about to experience it. Peter commands him to do what he can't do. And this is like our salvation, isn't it? Repent and believe to the spiritually dead may as well be rise and walk to a person who's never walked, who can't walk. But with the command comes power and God-given ability to do what's said. And in Peter-like fashion, he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Keep waiting for Andrew Getman to lead us in the song here. Peter's like, come on up. Earlier, Luke gives us descriptions of signs, wonders, and mighty acts that God attested to Jesus as Lord and Christ through mighty works and wonders and signs. 
And likewise, the apostles were given authority through wonders and signs. And later on, Paul says the same thing, that signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. I point this out because miracles have a purpose beyond the temporary healing. The healing is incredible and our attention's drawn there, but it's not really what they're about. And unlike the self-proclaimed healers of today, Peter and John weren't after money or personal fame. It's interesting as we go back through the book of Acts, the emphasis, it, it really isn't in miracles, but in the preaching of the gospel. And if there's one, if there's, a, if there's a miracle, then we see that it's an opportunity, really, to share the gospel. It's what we saw in, in chapter 2, isn't it? This amazing, incredible miracle of Pentecost. People are blown away. They're asking, what is, what is this? It's an opportunity to preach. Peter preaches. 3,000 are saved. Miracles are all throughout the scriptures. And there's always a greater purpose. I like how Dan Doriani defines a miracle. Miracles are a direct act of God in the external world in which he works outside, not against the common course of events. Why? To reveal himself. To reveal himself authenticate his servants and manifest his nature and redemptive purposes. It's funny, some people that I, that I know, they're just uncomfortable with the thought, with the idea of a miracle. One friend says that he believes in God, he considers himself a Christian, but he always wants to, whenever a conversation of a miracle comes up between us, he always wants to Explain how this unusual thing could happen through natural causes. He'll pick a miracle of the Bible and try and give a scientific explanation to me. And inevitably I'll respond by saying something like, Why? Why do you feel the need? You say you believe in God. Well, isn't he able to do what he wants? Your struggle seems to be with miracles, but really your struggle is with God. A congenitally crippled person does not suddenly get up and walk and leap. Something extraordinary happened here. Something that can't be explained by the normal course of science. It's as C.S. Lewis put it, an interference with nature by a supernatural power. An interference with nature by a supernatural power. It should be obvious. There's no reason to struggle with miracles when we know that God spoke everything into existence. If we believe that there was nothing, only God, He is eternal, He is the uncaused cause, And he spoke, and all of this came into being. If you really believe that, 
why do you have any problem with this man who is lame for 40 years being restored? No problem. It's obvious. You know, when my daughter Devin had end-stage kidney failure, she was on dialysis for three and a half years. And then suddenly they noticed her labs are different, they're better. And she doesn't need dialysis. And there's no medical explanation for it. When this happened, it's been over seven years ago. I love what Pastor Dale did. <laughs> he was so excited. He, he asked his doctor, I think it had a doctor's visit, and he told his doctor about this. And he, and he asked his doctor, is there any explanation for this? And my very favorite response that I ever heard Here's what his doctor said to him. God. <laughs> God. Miracles don't just... Miracles don't come from created beings. Peter and John weren't the source. Their creator was the source. Using them as an instrument for his glory. When Peter told the crippled man to walk, he was, he was telling him to do something that he lacked the power to do. Peter was commanding the impossible. But what's impossible with men is possible with God. And I want, to, I want us to stop and consider just how incredible this, this healing was. You've seen a child learning to walk. They've never done it before. It, 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 you know, it takes some getting used to, figuring out the balance, um, taking some falls. Consider this. This man is 40 years old. He never had the experience of learning to balance himself and walk. This wasn't him trying to remember what it used to do. You know, if you get a, a bad injury leg injury and you're having to walk again, you're, you have a recollection of what you're supposed to do. He had no recollection of doing it. He was born this way. His bones were likely out of alignment. His muscles, his tendons and ligaments were weak and atrophied. Today, you know, there might be corrective surgery, but even with that, there's gonna, it's going to be followed with many, many, many months of physical therapy. But what we see here is Peter reaching down, pulling the guy to his feet, and immediately he not only walks, but he has the strength and dexterity to leap. Doctor, do you have any explanation for this? God. Only the creator can do such things. It's a mighty work of God. Again, this is why Peter said, look at us. We're just men. The power, the healing will be from Jesus, who is God. It's by his name. It's his authority. The miracle was a sign that pointed to what Jesus had come into this world to do. Let me say that again. This miracle was a sign... That pointed to what Jesus had come into this world to do. What did he come to do? 
What did he come to do? You could think to die on the cross, to be raised in victory over sin. Yes. And what did that victory accomplish? And you think, well, my salvation? Yes. Forgiveness and reconciliation to God? Yes. But it also accomplished your healing. A healing now and a healing to come. Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Dale led a communion meditation. That was the point he was making. He shared a couple of weeks ago when we read, by his stripes we are healed. It means that it's not just speaking of a spiritual healing, but a physical healing to come. Jesus didn't only come to save your soul. He came to save your body and soul. To defeat sin and death. To restore, to restore his creation. God created a world without sin. And the curse that we're suffering with is a result of sin. All of our diseases, all of our disabilities, all of your sufferings are because of sin. Now, not one for one, but a world that has been corrupted is under a curse. And Jesus is the promised Messiah who comes to fix it all. Way back in Genesis 3.15, God spoke to the serpent who had deceived Eve, making a promise that I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring... He, my promised offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is that offspring whose heel was bruised on the cross, but not defeated. He would have the victory and the consequence is an undoing of the curse. Sin tore heaven and earth apart. And Jesus came to defeat sin and death. And the result of of that will be a restored, a better Eden. A restored, a better Eden. A new heaven, a new earth. You're not going to be floating around on a cloud forever. Jesus came to restore the heavens and the earth. You will have resurrected bodies on a physical earth. Restored Eden, put back together with us existing in these resurrected bodies, no longer suffering from the curse of sin. So when we see this miracle in Acts 3 and the result of Jesus' work, it involves this lame person from birth jumping around, we should recognize that this is a sign This is a sign of what Jesus came to do. This is a sign concerning his work, written hundreds of years prior to this in Isaiah 35, which says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Jesus also quoted this, remember John the Baptist's wondering, is he really the one? Jesus said, tell him this, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, 
Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. It's what we see in Jesus' earthly ministry and through his apostles. It's a picture of Eden restored. It's our hope. And this lame man leaping around is a sign that gives us a taste of that greater reality to come. Oh, but we need to be patient, don't we? What we see in Scripture is this pattern of an already and a not yet. Pentecost tells us that the last days have already begun. It was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And this requires a lot of patience and trust in the Lord because 2,000 years later, here we are, Still living in the last days. Still waiting for the last part of Joel's prophecy, the second coming. The day of the Lord where Jesus will make all things right. And so we sing of these kinds of things. We sang this morning. We expect a bright tomorrow. All will be well. That's what we're singing about. Faith can sing through days of sorrow. All is well. Our fathers On our Father's love relying, Jesus every need supplying. Yes, in living or in dying. All must be well. He died. He rose. He's in glory. It must be well. It's already, not yet. There's an already. In that Jesus has atoned for our sins. But a not yet concerning the full effects of restoration. By his stripes you are healed. It's a done deal now. And you are healed in some ways. But not yet in every way. Jesus healed the blind, the deaf, the mute, and the lame. There have been times of refreshing. But there's a not yet. Because those who were healed only had a taste of it. They died. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then he died. Yes, they're alive with Christ, they're still, but they're still waiting. They're still waiting for that not yet of that final restoration where they'll receive new bodies. Bodies like Jesus' resurrected body. Ones that will never grow old, never get sick, never die. We will live in perfect freedom and happiness, unable to sin. Can you imagine that? Unable to sin, no longer toiling in frustration, but living purposeful lives on a new earth. Hebrews 2.8 speaks of this already and not yet, saying, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control at present, We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And not only are you groaning with anticipation, Romans 8 describes the transformation of creation itself and that it's groaning, it's longing for this day. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Miracles, miracles like the healing of this crippled man give us a small small taste, an appetizer, a sign pointing to a greater reality to come. And then in verse 10, we see the importance of a testimony and for God to get the glory as we read, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They knew who he was. He was there all the time. And they're filled with wonder amazement at what they had what had happened to him miracles miracles are mighty acts of god they are signs and they are also wonders the people were in awe and luke seems to be in awe when you read back through this text because he repeats the word walk like three times This obvious, what's obviously happening, Luke is just repeating it. Like he's saying, he's walking, he's walking, and oh, did I tell you, he's walking? He's actually walking? Did I say that? Wonder creates praise and thankfulness. And this is what we see in this man as he's jumping around, praising God, and headed right into the temple to praise God some more. Miraculous healings in the Bible are interesting. Yes, they, they fill us with wonder, and yes, they are signs that, that not only authenticate God's prophets and apostles, but also give us hope for the promise to come. But something that's also interesting is that miracles are physical illustrations about spiritual realities. They're physical illustrations about spiritual realities. God's not, God is compassionate and he loves to heal, but he's communicating a whole lot in those healings. When Jesus heals the blind man, it illustrates that we're spiritually blind from birth. When he heals the deaf, we recognize that spiritually speaking, we were given ears to hear his saving gospel. When he raises the dead, we realize that we were just as helpless as Lazarus. That apart from Christ's effectual call, we would have remained dead in the grave. And we see something similar here. How does Jesus forgive sin? How does Jesus forgive sin? He commands us to do something that we are unable to do. Rise up and walk. It must have sounded offensive at first. Rise up and walk? Isn't it obvious that I can't? But it's a picture of the gospel. Because the gospel calls us to repent and believe. And if you rightly understand the Bible, then you rightly understand yourself and you realize that just like this man, these are the very things a non-Christian is unable to do. In our own nature, we have a congenital heart defect. 
from birth, our hearts are hard toward God. Our spirits are dead to him. These healing miracles are signs in that they point beyond themselves. The healing of the body points to the healing of the soul. And the nature of these healings are impossible with man, but possible with God. That man couldn't rise up and walk. Lazarus couldn't come forth. And it's just as impossible for the natural heart of man to repent of his sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Jesus taught this. He taught this in John 6, saying, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He's not speaking about permission. That would be may. He says can, ability. No one can. No person has the ability. No person has the ability to come to me unless something happens. What's impossible with man is possible with God unless the Father does the miraculous work of drawing him up from the ground so he can come into his presence walking and leaping and praising God. He's the cause of this man's healing. And if you know and love Jesus today, it's the same. You may not realize it, but this is the biblical teaching. It's the same. We should be in awe and respond with thankful praise all the days of our lives. Augustine understood this as he famously said, My whole hope is in thy exceeding great mercy and that alone. Give what thou commandest. Rise up and walk. Repent and believe. Give that to me. Command what thou wilt. The gospel call is always repent and believe. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge them. Ask for forgiveness. And turn away from them and turn to Christ. Believe in him as your savior. The one who died for you. The one who is risen, exalted, and coming again to make all things well. To make all things right. Look at him. Trust in him. Hear him say, rise and walk. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Our great and merciful God, thank you for your healing, for the healing to come. We praise you for your glorious grace and for our great hope because of the finished work of Christ. Lord, cause us to grow in your grace, to love you more, to be devoted to your word and to prayer, to our our common bond of Christ our love for each other. Lord, give us compassion for the lost and needy as we share the good news of Jesus. May we be instruments in your hand as you work the miracle. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.